Hello and welcome to the Overly Animated Podcast, where we take animation seriously. I'm Beatrice Murad, and today I'm joined by Alex Bonilla. Hello. And April Collins. Hello. With The Incredibles 2 coming out in a few weeks, we have decided to look back on the first Incredibles film. There won't be a non-spoiler section simply because if you haven't seen this movie by now, what is wrong with you? Get on it. You've had 14 years. Like, get <laughs> on it. I, I, no excuses. I'm usually pretty lenient. This is the one movie I'm like, no, if you have not seen this, go. <laughs> go now. Um, but you can find out more about this podcast at OverlyAnimated.com. You can subscribe to us on iTunes at OverlyAnimated.com slash iTunes, where we appreciate your star ratings, or search for Overly Animated on your favorite podcatcher. So, very quickly before we start diving more deeply into the movie, let's just briefly go around and talk about our history with this movie. How, have, when did you watch it? Did you watch it in the theater? Did you not? Um, how does it hold up? Do you think if you've seen it multiple times and in between those times, a long time has passed in between them, does it hold up? Um, April, let's start with you. So I first saw it whenever it was like first in theaters. And of course, since then, I've watched it like countless times. I couldn't even tell you. Um, And the last time that I watched it was actually just a couple of days ago whenever I found out we were doing this podcast, which worked out perfectly because like... I was like, I need something to watch. And then it was like, we're doing an Incredibles podcast. And I was like, perfect. Like, I know what I'm watching now. So, um, and in my opinion, it holds up very, very well. Um, I, I, you know, I enjoyed it the first time around. I still very much love and appreciate it even to this day. Um, my husband thought I was really hilarious when I was watching it. And um, because I would like make comments and say things and he's like, you would swear you've never seen this movie before April. And I was like, and he's like, and I know that's not true because I've watched this with you multiple times. So, (laughs) (laughs) so, um, but yeah, it's one of, it's one of my favorite like Pixar movies. Um, I I don't think that's ever changed. Uh, But yeah, so I, um, you know, I have a lot of like appreciation for this movie. Um, and I'm sure we'll get into more of those details and everything, like, as we continue discussing. Awesome. Awesome. And Alex, what's your history with The Incredibles? Well, uh, I didn't start actually going to the theater till very late in my life. So The Incredibles was probably something I caught on DVD at some at some point uh, later on like years afterwards but i remember always being okay with it like it's a pixar movie so they're all a high high bar but like more recently as like i've become more serious about watching animation like went through a lot of the old pixar films that i had watched as a kid i think the incredible stands out a lot more maybe because it definitely stands out in like a bit more adultness in terms of its jokes its themes and uh, at the same time I think uh, if you're looking for humor, which uh, I tend to weigh very heavily in in movies, I think there are other Pixar movies that do better. But because The Incredibles isn't exactly trying to be that, it's being kind of a serious film, in my opinion. And like that, that is impressive on its own, considering the state of uh, animation at that time. So uh, 
the watch, watching it now, like I get, I feel like I get a better impression of just how impressive that this movie even exists. And also, like in the context of all the superhero films that we're kind of surrounded by these days, The Incredibles stands out for like its emotional weight, something that franchises that have had like 10 or 15 entries still have problems getting out of me. But this in in one movie is able to do a lot more. So uh, I'm I'm just impressed by a lot of things watching it now as opposed to when I was a kid. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, um, hot take: This movie does a better job in ten minutes than Batman v Superman does, and it's two hours and plus two hours wow, and thirty what minutes. A hot take. That is Batman not a hot take. Isn't a good movie? Hot take, say. cold take, frozen take. Um, but yeah, uh, it. This is my favorite Pixar movie. I saw it when I was when it came out at first, when I was like eleven years old, and it just it's. I saw it at that perfect age where you kind of just remember everything. You know, when you're like, there's a point in childhood where if you consume some sort of pop culture, it just stays with you no matter what. And this is one of those things. I adore this movie. I, 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 if anyone, because I live alone. So if anyone was like around me while I was watching it, they'd probably be like, you've seen this multiple times because I would just (laughs) recite it as like lines of dialogue as they were happening. Um, I love it. Uh, they, it came out with an amazing video game, which is like super rare for movies. The video game adaptation is super rare. Um, and it's just, I don't know. I think it's one of the best animated films. I think it's one of the best superhero films. Absolutely. It's definitely the best Fantastic Four film that's ever come out, period. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's true. And, uh, that's a um, low bar. I mean, true, but I mean, it's still, even then, it's the best, I don't know, it's, for me, it's one of the best superhero movies, and that says a lot, given the time period when it came out, and given the, the current, like, age of superhero movies that we've seen. The overabundance of superhero movies that we are now exposed to. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, and I don't know, it's just, it's a beautiful, beautiful movie, um, and something that I was very scared to watch it, very, like, recently, I was scared to watch it for this podcast, because I thought, even though I had seen it, Multiple times. It's been a while since I've rewatched it, and I was scared that, oh, it's not going to, like, animation's not going to hold up. The story's not going to hold up. It's, and nostalgia is, like, tinting my view, and that's not true. Um, the only thing is maybe animation does look a little bit dated, just slightly, because I was actually looking for it. But um, but still, it's still a beautiful movie. And uh, just visually, it's still a very beautiful movie. And- I was going to say, well, that was one of the things that I had also noticed, too, um, at, at least in this most recent watch, is that, like, given the time period that this movie, I mean, it was 14 years ago. And given that, like, the animation is just incredible for that time. And for it to still look as gorgeous as it, like, as it does, um, it really says a lot to, you know, the whole, like, production crew and animate like animation staff and everything like that like um what was it one of the things that i always like notice is hair yeah and so like i was like watching it and i the hair looked like frizzy yeah. and i was like oh it's probably just blurry like it's probably like you know like dated animation and then like like as i was like looking at it i was like no like they made the hair look frizzy on purpose. Like you can tell, like I was freaking out <laughs> again. My husband thought I was crazy. Cause I'm like, look at the hair. And he's like, what about it? I'm like, it's frizzy. And he's like, okay. Like, I don't understand. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and not just that, but I mean, this is another hot take. That's probably not that hot. Um, this is, I, I think this has better animation than boss baby. 
Ooh, I haven't seen Boss Baby, so I can't speak. Don't to that. do it. Don't do. Well, don't do that to yourself. Uh, <laughs> well, also, the, the thing is that at this time you have to consider Pixar was on the forefront of like creating technology for this stuff That's because uh, uh, up to this point with The Incredibles, you had Monsters Inc., where like they had spent years working at just making the fur look real, and so now you advance to The Incredibles, and they had to create new technology to create like this is their first human movie too. Like compare the humans in this movie to like say Boo in Monsters Inc. or the parents in Toy Story. And there's yeah. a there's a noticeable there's difference. <laughs> yeah, no kidding, right? And, and Andy, he's a human, right? But, <laughs> but even then, like his appearance is very, I guess, almost kind of blocky. Right. If that but, makes sense. Yeah. Uh-huh, yeah. But so so they had to like develop a lot more stuff to make it look realistic just for the making of this film. So the fact that they they were the first ones to create this technology makes it impressive on its own and comparing it to later works like, as like DreamWorks or Blue Sky and they've, they've kind of gone the route of simplifying things and perhaps in an effort to save money or it's just easier to do it that way but that, that makes you appreciate more of these older films that went through the trouble of developing all these new, new methods of making humans look okay to watch. Speaking of humans, I also appreciate how they actually show multiple body types. You know, a lot, especially Mm -hmm. in like Disney movies, like Disney animation movies, there's a very specific style of human, especially with women. There's a very specific female body type that they show and rarely do they show anything else. Um, And in this one, you see multiple body types and I appreciate that. Like, Helen, your hips are great. I love them. (laughs) (laughs) She is thick with two C's. (laughs) Exactly. I adore Helen. And it explains a lot for me. (laughs) Um, Anyway, let's dive into this. Um, I'm just going to throw this question at you because, again, I am coming in from a very biased standpoint. I think this is a beautiful and glorious movie. Is this or is this not the greatest opening of any movie? And I say that, I ask that because... Think about what this movie had to do had to, in the opening. It has to set its tone. It has to build a world with superheroes. Not only build a world, but tell, give you context into the situation in which these characters are in. Give you a taste of what who these characters used to be. And strike a musical tone, because the music in this movie is absolutely gorgeous. Like, there's so much done in this opening. That it's, and not just the, in terms of, of story, but also in terms of just the rating tone, because it, it, like, it goes from suicide and violence and, and all this stuff and darkness just within the first 15 to 20 minutes. Like, I, I remember when I was a kid watching this and being blown away because I was like, oh, they're not treating me like a, like an idiot. Um, so what did you guys think? And all, not just that, but also the action sequence is great and humorous. Like there's a beautiful balance between humor and action and seriousness. So what did you guys think of this opening? And were you as blown away as I do, as I was? Um, April. Oh, sorry. <laughs> um, so I think I can really appreciate this opening because it sort of, um, it like lightly drops you into the world and I, I can appreciate stories and movies and even with tv shows whenever they sort of kind of throw you into like the world that they're creating or they're setting up for you um and this one they kind of lightly drop you into it i like how it's kind of like this interview type of style and we're talking to sort of like the key people that we're going to see like moving forward and then we're again we just get dropped and it's like immediately there's action There's a lot of subtlety, um, which I, you know, 
maybe back then I didn't appreciate as much, but I do now. Like the subtlety between like the relationship of like Elastigirl and Mr. Incredible and like all of the characters sort of interacting with each other. Like, okay, they're friends. Like I'll probably see this person again. Um, Like, oh, that person's clearly disgruntled. They're probably going to come into play. So I, I appreciate, or I really enjoy subtlety and how it sort of builds into like those greater like, and even darker themes. And again, um, you know, I, I don't necessarily remember it was 14 years ago and I was 15 at the time. So, (laughs) but, uh, um, but I, I like whenever, um, I guess it's like, again, all of these like adult themes and like the suicide and like, you know, uh, the sort of holding the superheroes accountable for their actions kind of thing. It's again, it's very adult, but it's super, it's, super subtle to where as a kid you may not pick up on it and I like that and I think that's one of the things that like Disney does well or has done well with you know movies before that is sort of those uh, the um like slight nods to adults who are being forced to watch the film kind of thing but this one's even more so like it's still fun while you're still dealing with the fact that like okay he doesn't care about, you know, he doesn't care about killing kids or killing himself or whatever. And they're just throwing that in your face, which is kind of crazy. But uh, And even some of like the like sexual, like, and I say sexual, but they're, you know, they're not e- explicit, um, are very like sort of out there. And it's not, again, it's like subtle, but not subtle. Like it's very obvious, like there's tension between like Elastigirl and Mr. Incredible. And then you see what that developed into like, okay, of course there's that tension. They're getting married and all of this stuff. So I, I like, I like that. I like those types of openings. I like being thrown into situations and then um, like feeling like I'm already a part of it at the same time. Right. Right. Alex, what about you? Uh, I will say that I, I had forgotten totally about this opening. <laughs> like when I re- when I rewatched it, I was like, "Wait, I thought it started where Bob was an insurance salesman." But like, I had missed this entire thing. But it what it, 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 so so I was very surprised rewatching that this all happened. I don't know how I forgot about Bomb Voyage. Like that's a very good Best villain name. Best villain ever. Monsieur Incroyable. <laughs> but. but uh, uh, yeah, I, I really enjoyed the opening as well. I, I also enjoyed the little um, um, back and forth we get between Mr. Incredible and Frozone, like just establishing like, hey, this is kind of a normal thing for them. They're just like talking while they're doing their separate saving people things. Uh, I, I think April has covered most of it. But I, in regards to your first question of the is this the best opening in Pixar history? I will say that uh, we do have to deal with up. Like that's a different kind of opening where it's emotionally manipulating you <laughs> to uh, to feel very down before you get to the rest of the story. And you also have Wally, which I think does a great job of like setting up Wally as this lone character. Also, like it setting you up in this environment and what his daily life is like before you get into the rest of the story. So I think The Incredibles is in the running, but I don't think that it's as clear cut just because Pixar has done a great job with with set world building in past movies. You underestimate me, Alex, because I wasn't saying best opening in Pixar. I was just saying in general, just oh. best opening of any <laughs> movie. Uh, okay, was, then I'm, I'm never going to convince you if you put it that high. But no, but, I was uh, but, I was yeah, going I, high. I, I was going real I high. Think, <laughs> I definitely think this is a top three opening in, in this franchise. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, okay, well then, 
similarly how they kind of drop drop us into this world we get a a a, uh we jump time we jump forward in time and then we get dropped again into the banality of what is now bob parr's life which is he's an insurance agent and helen's a stay-at-home mom and they have three kids violet dash and jack jack so not only and so kind of similar question what did you appreciate kind of this section of the movie? And are there any particular characters of the Parr family, not just in this kind of section before they really start kind of showing off their powers and stuff, but just in general, is there any particular character that you are more attached to than others? Like, who's your favorite in the family? Like, they're not your blood-related family, so you can pick. <laughs> who's your favorite? <laughs> um, April. Um, I think that now I would say um, Helen's my favorite in the family um, a lot a lot because like she's just extremely like supportive of her husband and um, I guess maybe like I find myself in her uh, she's very uh, like she's she's a real person like she's a real character um you know she's supportive of her family she loves them it's very obvious um again those are just very standard like characteristics um she's really confident but then at the same time like she kind of has like her small like moments in the movie where she sort of is doubtful um maybe not necessarily of herself but of the situation um and then I like that she's very sort of like she has a very commanding like force within the family too. Um, again, I see myself in her, uh, or and maybe that's probably why I f- I think she's my favorite. Um, but uh, there she's very like like yeah like kind of girl powerish, um, which is kind of weird to say now. Um, but at the time that was kind of a thing. And then at the time when. Um, the movie takes place because I think it's in like the early 60s. So like that's whenever we were beginning to like, um, you know, all of the like human rights movements and everything like that. And so I like that she's very like personified in that, but you can still relate to her um, in a kind of like the modern day. Like we're still, you know, going for human rights and all of that stuff. But yeah, I just think she's she's my favorite. So I don't <laughs> And before I get to you, Alex, very interesting that you mentioned about, like, the time period, because even though she, and I feel like this is what's going to be explored in Incredibles 2, but it's interesting how it's like, she's all, she, in the beginning when she was just Elastigirl, where we just saw her in the opening, she was like, leave the saving the world to the men? I don't think so. And then she's a, she's a stay-at-home mom, which in, Mm -hmm. like, kind of the feminist movement of the period was like, oh, no, women should work and all this stuff, um, even though now we've kind of moved past them, we're like, it's a choice, it's whatever. But like, in, it's interesting kind of to capture that kind of moment in time where I feel like it's like where things are about to burst. And I feel like The Incredibles 2 is going to lead into that kind of social change and all that that's about to happen. But um, but Alex, yes, what about you? Who's your favorite? Uh, ever since I, I first watched it, I, I was a Violet and I still consider myself a Violet today. Aww. I mean, what? what? Like, I, I don't want to speak for everyone, but what insecure teenager has not wished for the ability to become invisible at some point in right. their lives? Yeah. Yes. But, like, Violet can actually do it. <laughs> so, like, and also, like, just her entire arc through this movie is incredible. Like, she she's forced in, into the situation of, like, having to pull out powers that she's been repressing. She gets very disappointed in herself, uh, as one is wont to do as a teenager, and uh, she gets built up by, by Helen to, like, trust in herself and over time she ends up finding herself that way 
So yeah, I I, I, I love Violet from beginning to end. Of this movie, <laughs> I I still do. And in general, just of the the opening of this movie, another thing that impressed me is like the the insurance company scenes with Bob, just because I feel like it's it's a bit highbrow for for a children's audience. I was impressed that like the the direct the director and Pixar is like trusting enough in in their audience, like you'll understand what all this means. Like like that whole scene with Bob and the old lady, like, look, I can't tell you that you have to find this form and go here and go here. <laughs> like mm-hmm. that that scene is very is very touching. Wallace Shawn as the as the boss is very humorous, but at the same time, it leaves the very strong contrast of Bob being still caring about people and like wanting to help and the business world he's stuck in that is so focused on the bottom line like it's it's a very uh, strong uh, imagery there of just the the day-to-day life he's been stuck in for how many years but yeah just the those scenes in particular stood out to me I was like oh okay like uh, th- this is a bit uh, unexpected for a Pixar movie, but uh, I, I I like them. I was uh, I was still entertained by them. They didn't re- they didn't last for too long, but they give you a good job of showing of like developing Bob as this character early on. Yeah, I, I agree. And and kind of speaking to that, there even in in this kind of I remember when uh the his boss came and yelled at him. The minute he leaves, there's this very there's this beat where his pencils, which he had done, so, he had put back, it had spilt, and then he had put them back in the beginning, kind of fall again. And it's just this wonderful little moment that just captures the, the, the anger and frustration underneath him that everybody understands. It's like, it's just one of those days where everything is going wrong for you, and the pencils fell off the desk again. And it's just <laughs> this wonderful little beat that it's like, and it just stays with him, and then it moves on. And it's a similar thing to, like, later on when we do see, um, and we see Helen and she stops, like, she's trying to save Bob and she stops by a mirror and then she just looks at her butt and she just goes, oh, yes, this is my body now. And then I'm like, it's a beautiful body. What are you talking about? But also, um, but you know, it's like those little brief moments of like humanness, which, um, a lot of times, especially with superhero movies, it's always like, go, 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 go. And like now they're constantly it, in that superhero role, like they don't ever get to be like a normal person. And exactly, so exactly. Mm-hmm. The minute you put in that, you put on that mask, you are no longer human. You are superhuman. But then with these characters, you will have these brief moments of just, you know, even it was just with Bob getting into shape, you know, it's like you're superhuman, like you have superhuman strength and you still have to get into shape. It's just this beautiful <laughs> little like bits of like human magic that well, sometimes get lost with, uh, uh, superhero movies. I well, feel. see, the, the the genius is starting off as repressing your superhero ness. Like it's about halfway through the movie before we finally get to them actually doing superhero yeah. stuff. So yeah. the de- dedicating all that time to them not being superheroes gives you the chance to do that. Yeah, and helps you focus on on what that repression does for you. You know, because speaking like on Violet, it's only when she actually embraces her superhuman abilities that she starts gaining confidence in herself. And there's just such a clear kind of uh, um, symbolism there in that it's once you embrace your trueness that you can like gain confidence in who you are and whatever. So it's like, it's 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 a lot. And it's, I don't know, I just I really appreciate this kind of slow build and amp. Like after a very amped up opening, they actually allow us have, to have time to breathe and to get to know these people before the incredibleness begins. Um, but let's talk about this kind of, 
I think the main thing that propels this story forward, which is Bob's midlife crisis, because that's what he's going through, is a midlife oh, crisis. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, he's like, I don't know. And it's a, there's a beautiful moment at the end with his car, because cars represent so much of like masculinity and this midlife crisis thing. It's like, I'm going to buy a super nice car now. And um, the the moment like his family's in danger and he just throws the car and I'm just like, the symbolism. <laughs> he's like, screw midlife crisis. And I'm just like, Bob, yes, anyway. Anyway, point is, this is a huge thing that that is pushing the story forward. And Bob gets wrapped up in ha- is offered an opportunity to become super again after be after years of having forced being forced to hide it. And he meets Mirage, who tells him, "Come with us and let's take you on this James Bond esque adventure." And then we have this beautiful kind of new like thread of a story where. Everyone else is kind of back in the boring banalities of life, and he's having this crazy adventure. He's getting into shape. He's getting a new car. He's, after getting fired, he gets a new job, and he's, like, built, go it, working up in life. And we get, like, the introduction to, like, the best character of them all, Edna. And, well, like, we've seen her before. We saw her briefly in the, in the wedding. But um, we get to meet her, finally. And there's just this, like, this section of the story from both from the from the second he lands on the island the first time, which is like com- comic gold because you have him just, his back gets thrown out, he's overweight, and then to the transition of him finally like at the end, like uh, to like the end of this section where he's like, yeah, I got a new suit and I'm fit and this is great. Like I just, I love this kind of exploration of masculinity and just in a way it's cliche, all the beats that follow the midlife crisis scenario um were you down to the like the the slapping of the butt at some point during that montage (laughs) (laughs) they also like highlight that oh he's getting more virile as he's like finding a purpose in life and And um, girl is into it yeah (laughs) (laughs) basically he's become a better father because you also see him like actually like get involved now and engage with his kids like all these things so at this point in the movie like if you okay if you like step away from having seen it multiple times or having or knowing the story up to this point are you a little nervous they're like oh like what what is it that like are they being too trite are they being too cliche because one of the main criticisms coming at like once when this movie was first released one of the main criticisms was that it was too derivative that it was too much of these archetypes and it was just another action film and there were people who were like this doesn't offer anything new so how do you counter that, especially up to this point in the movie? Has it done anything worth standing out? Um, Alex, you were... Well, I, I will say that uh, I, I do think that it avoids going down the path of, oh, this is so expected because we we are set up from the very beginning that this is based on a lie. Like Bob says, like, I'm going to a conference. I'm doing this stuff. So what you're actually waiting for is the is the reveal of the lie, which in itself can be considered a cliche, right? The, the like we're waiting for the lie reveal trope, but also I, I think the fact that you do see them improve and like everybody's buying it, and so you're also interested in seeing like how the characters react to considering this is a, a relatively tight knit family, even before all this happening, like that 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 whole dinner scene at the beginning where they're all around the table. Um, Dash and Violet are are fighting with each other. Like it's still a family dynamic that everyone is uh, is connected to. So uh, seeing how how that ends up rolling out is at least to me like I I was interested in that side of things. 
and uh, and yeah, like so seeing Bob, Bob and, and Helen like eventually figure out what each person is doing. Uh, like I, I do think that it is doing cliches, but I at the same time I think that they do do enough to dress it up to keep it from being a boring presentation of that. Gotcha, gotcha. April, what about you? Yeah, I was gonna say the same thing. Just that, like, yeah, it may be very deriv- derivative and again cliche, but the way that they, I guess, present it isn't so much so. Like, it's almost kind of hidden because there's a lot of other things going on um, to sort of distract you from like exactly how like yeah if you sit there and you like analyze it like minute to minute frame by frame then yeah you're going to be like okay this is like this is the same story that we've seen over and over again but it, it almost kind of isn't because you do have the whole like family element mixed in and um you know, and it's not so much that it's just like a family, but it's a family of superheroes. So you have that sort of working with it to, again, dress it up and make it something different and something new. And I I like that. Um, I can ignore the fact that it's, you know, it's been been there, done that um, simply because it when it's presented to me, it it doesn't feel that way. And um Gosh, I just lost my train of thought. <laughs> well, <laughs> but but uh, I was gonna say I can overlook I can with that I can overlook the fact that it it's it's something that I've seen before simply because again it's it's presented to me and they do a, they're very successful in the way that they do deliver that sort of storyline. Gotcha, gotcha. I mean, I, I I think whenever I'm countered with the kind of the whole derivative criticism, for me it's mostly. The fact that oftentimes when it is like either this type of thing where it's like, is he having an affair? Is he not having an affair? It's either solely from the perspective of the, of the woman or it's solely from the perspective of the man who's like living his truth or whatever. And it's kind of like because we're actually like focusing is on a family and on a family dynamic, I feel like a lot of times it's either these type of stories are either solely focused on the kids or solely focused on the parents. And the fact that we're actually having this kind of dynamic between generations a dynamic between like this family and this and this thing and in the movie never loses sight of that like while bob is having this crazy thing like you have helen like having second thoughts but then you have the kids being aware of it just from like the scene where they actually were fighting right before before like he gets his new job and whatever and he had gone with frozone to save a fire and then ends up revealing himself to mirage um you know, there's this moment where, like, they're just, they're fighting, and it's ugly. It's ugly to see your parents fight, and you have the kids actually present, and you actually see the repercussions of that, which isn't something you see, or not that you don't see it often, but especially in an animated film, in a mainstream animated film, and in the superhero animated film like that. <laughs> like, all these things are working against humanity, and this movie does everything in its power to maintain it. And I just find that to be the what keeps it from being derivative, or if anything, subversive. But, um, but yeah, well, I was going to yeah. say the, the, the family dynamic is what really sort of sells it too, is because it's the fact that like in most of like, you know, where like, oh, like 
they're hiding something, there's secrets, this and that. Um, again, it's very one-sided, but we're also getting the the family, you know, we're getting, you know, Bob and Helen as well as the kids. But then we're also seeing the way that they interact with that too. Like most of the time it's very much like, oh, like maybe the kids notice, but we don't know that they are noticing. But they're very like outward like, oh, are you guys getting a divorce? And it's like, they're like, no, we're not getting a divorce. We're just having a fight. Like, you know what I mean? Like it's kind of right. that... Um, it's a unique family um, environment. And so I think that's all, again, a lot of the place where they succeed is because they're presenting this sort of unique concept of what a family is where like the kids are hyper aware. And I think it's the fact that they all have to hide their, like their superpowers together that sort of helped create like foster and create that relationship between all of them because they have this combined secret. And so it there it's, it's almost like, what's the point? Like, this is the biggest secret that I could keep from anyone and you know about it. So, okay. You know, like whenever I think it's Violet who asks, are you guys getting a divorce? And they say, they're like, no, like there's no, you know, they're like, we're fighting about this kind of thing. And they're very like upfront about it because what is the point of hiding something from, you know, someone who already knows your biggest secret. Right. And I really, yeah, yeah. I really, I really like that sort of relationship, like come like to be seen on screen. Totally, totally. Any trope can be well executed with the proper setup. And I think the the opening to this movie, as well as the first 15 minutes of family scenes, is a, a more, more setup than most movies will give to this kind of plot. So I think that that helps a lot in us it, it being fine with the montage once he becomes Mr. Incredible again. Yeah. And I think something really interesting is I feel like and this is, I don't know, sometimes midlife Christ crises are portrayed as as kind of like instantaneous. It's like they just happen and then it's done. But like I feel the reason Bob has been so dis- detached from his family, I don't think this is, has been an instant. I feel like, I mean, I think he says it later on. He's like, I have, I almost missed this adventure with you. I've not been a good father. And I think that for me, it kind of shows like this, this, not only his, the impact of his relationship with his wife, but also the, his relationship with his, with his children. Like that has been affected by years of him struggling to deal with this midlife crisis and and his, his, his hiding, his, his trouble adapting to normal civilian life. That scene with Frozen too, where they're in the car, and it's like, "Hey, can we actually go bowling for yeah. once?" Yeah. Like, yeah. Even even his friend who he's done superhero stuff in the past is like, "You gotta move on." But yeah, like, like let's, but th- let's th- go bowling. <laughs> right. So that that scene is also like highlighting like this has been a thing that's been going on for a while, and uh, and you end up seeing that that they go through with it anyway, and they suffer even more worse consequences than they had in the past, and yet. Uh, uh, Mr. Incredible is just more wanting to go back to it, whereas everyone else is like, why? Yeah, I why? think the the other the other I guess half of that too that they do a really good job at executing is um, because you know there is the 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 part where Helen does think that you know there's an affair going on, but it's it's nice because they they set it up. It's not so much where like all of a sudden Helen thinks he's having an affair. It's like right, right. it's like she okay, trusts him. Yeah, she trusts him. And it's very obvious that she trusts him, too. And they lay out that evidence. But then they also lay out the evidence for her 
to where you then understand what she's thinking. Like, you know, okay, he lied about like not going bowling and then she, um, she found the hair on his suit and then, you know, she, um, you know, she saw where he got the patchwork done and she finds out that he's not like he doesn't he's not at a conference and he doesn't have his job anymore. And so they do a great job at setting it up versus, again, like you said, it's not instantaneous. And then we deal, you know, it, the, and then we see the ramifications of like her conclusion that she has drawn based off, you know, X, Y and Z versus like she sees X and she's like, well, it's obviously a like affair. And <laughs> well, see, see, the interesting thing a, to me fair. is that I, the, the interesting thing to me is that I don't think the movie, the movie portrays it as just, oh, he, he's having an affair. I think Elastic Girl is also kind of disappointed that he's been going back to his superhero life because he's all exactly like when he, when she uses the phrase I'm losing him but like from the very beginning it's like you have to stop going back to those days you have to be a father so like the, the what I enjoy about it is that it's not as one-sided as okay she, he's with another woman but it's also like he's not he's living a different life than the one we expected to live so like it's, it, it's, it's a like lot more nuanced he's cheating on he's cheating on his family with this like whole life. other yeah. lifestyle right yeah right. yeah that's a good way to put it that's a great way to put it um I don't know yeah and I I, I it's interesting because I I think part of the reason why she does believe in them is because she knows he's a good like she's seen him be like a good man in terms of like you're you were like a superhero and stuff and it's just i don't know i just feel like i don't know the the bond between bob and helen guys <laughs> i love it <laughs> anyway um well I, and i agree with you on that too is that like we've never like whenever he does sort of get himself in trouble, it's he's getting himself in trouble because he's trying to do good. And so I think that only further like reinforces the fact that yes, like Bob is a good person, but you know, you know what I mean? Like it, we, we still have that evidence. Like what he's doing, he's trying to do, um, for the good of things like that's why his family's had to move so much is because you know he tried to help this person or he did that or whatever and then um and then it's kind of like interesting because we sort of see a turn where he his um his motivations become almost slightly selfish because he wants to relive those hero days and so he um and then that's why you know he like hides the fact that he's, you know, going off to an island and doing all and being Mr. Incredible again. So. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. And I also, I feel like it's because, I don't know. I feel like also she's like one of the few people who, who does understand what he's going through, you know? So mm-hmm. it's kind of, I feel like, you know, I, I don't know. I think she's just, she's really, she under, like if there's anyone who can understand him, it's her, I feel even more so than, say, Frozone. Because Frozone doesn't, I don't, at least from what I can tell, doesn't have kids and all this stuff. So it's not exactly the same. He so just I, has honey. Exactly, <laughs> he just has honey. Which I hope we actually see her. Like, I um, want to see no, her face. No, it's, it's funnier if we don't see her. No, she deserves to have a face, <laughs> okay, okay? so can I say that I've seen a picture of what her character looks like? <gasps> oh my god, we do Aww. see honey! <laughs> Spoilers. No, no, no. But here's the here's the thing. I mean, we hear in the trailer. So just just close your eyes for a moment and just hear her infamous words, and and then think about what she looks like. And then if you go and 
like look at the picture of her she is exactly what you imagine which is super creepy (laughs) like it's yeah, it's great. So if you wanna if you wanna see a picture of her, it's out there. Um, okay. If you don't want to, then just don't search for it. <laughs> but... I won't. I won't. But oh god, I can't wait. I can't wait to meet Honey. Anyway, um, <laughs> um, speaking of like super suits, let's talk about Edna. Like, do you still believe in capes? Is my question. Yes or no? no? Just a yes or no? no. No, no. Edna has convinced me that it's not a practical addition to your outfits. I believe her. (laughs) I believe her as well. I just find it really funny that because she's voiced by Brad Bird, who's the director of this movie, I found it. I feel like that's just been something that's always bothered him about superhero movies. And he just manages to let it out with this character. He's just like, capes, they don't work. They don't make sense. And then then this perfect opportunity came up when he's like, I can finally rant about this in a way that makes it. His like m- like one of the most memorable memorable moments in like animation history, and it's just like well done, Brad Bird, well done. Um, <laughs> Give yourself uh, uh, a pat on the back. <laughs> yeah. Uh, also, Edna's scene where she's like, is it, get, "Get yourself together with with uh, with, uh, with <laughs> Helen." Like uh, that scene also is pretty pretty good. <laughs> just yeah, yeah. you're slapping I, her around. <laughs> Personally, I love the uh, the whole uh, supermodels. Ugh, there's nothing super about them. <laughs> I used to work for gods. gods. <laughs> exactly. I, where is that accent? Like, if you guys had to p- pick a place of where she is from, like, where is she from? Oh. I, I heard somewhere that uh, someone described it as half half Asian, half German, and I think that's a good enough approximation. I can, it's like, I can, it's like I can an see weird German. middle. I, I, yeah, I can see German, definitely. Um, but okay, so let's move into after... Edna, like, smacks some sense into Helen. Um, Helen goes, uh, leaves the kids, tells them, okay, you need to babysit your brothers, and she goes off to find Bob, well, who, actually, by the way, is what, yeah. Well, like, before all that happens, we do see Mr. Incredible meet um, the, the the boy oh, Wonder. Yes, 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 I, I feel oh, like that's yeah. an important scene. <laughs> no, totally. I, I was going to get to that. I was like, while, and then you, you jumped in. So I was going to get to it. <laughs> while Mr. Incredible was caught by uh he goes through this whole thing where he has to fight this machine and that was his own mission and then he finally meets the person behind it who is syndrome aka the boy young boy we met buddy (laughs) buddy exactly which is like again perfect backstory for a villain because how often do we like get a good villain in superhero movies i think it's only been recently the marvels managed to get it right so one Every superhero story needs a great villain, and we got that with Syndrome. Again, he's kind of crazy, and they also call out the whole, like, monologuing thing about villains multiple times. They even called it out in that scene where with Frozone when he was like, I just want to go bowling. And he was <laughs> telling that story, like, he goes monologuing. He starts monologuing. I'm like, There's, there you go. They're calling out these things. and um, It's like being self-aware of the situation that you're in, um, which, which is, is so great. Yeah. yeah, and then and then Cinder's like, "You sly dog!" dog. <laughs> dog, dog. Exactly. Oh god, I know all these lines, guys. This is bad. Anyway, um, but yeah, and uh, he find uh, Mr. Incredible finds out that all these pre superheroes that he had, like that he knew, all were eliminated, terminated by this machine as as it got stronger and stronger. That Syndrome actually hunted down these superheroes and took advantage of this kind of 
weakness they all had and nostalgia they all had for the past, there's something worth exploring. The weakness and nostalgia, an essay on The Incredibles. Um, (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Um, But yeah, so there's this kind of, that that relationship in itself is super interesting. Um, And Mr. Incredible gets caught once um, Helen decides to actually track him and be- the homing beacon happens, and then he gets caught. So, all that, super rich, super great, super interesting, and it leads us to what I think, what's the sequence that has stayed the strongest with me over the years, the one that when I think, even though, like, I've said that this is, like, the-, the greatest opening, whatever, but here is a sequence that's super high intensity, it's action-packed, it's traumatic, super scary, and it's so well acted. It's just the voice acting in this movie is incredible. But in this scene in particular, has, it's just incredible. It's that airplane sequence. Yeah, where, the, the, yeah. where Helen finally goes, abort, abort. Like that, that exactly. Like we chills. have children. We have children aboard when she says that. And then you have, you cut to Bob saying no. And then it's just, and not only that, but even like Mirage, who at the end, she goes like, she, her, her voice shakes when she says that the family's been terminated. And it's like, it, it's just a beautiful sequence and not just that, but Violet not being able to, 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 like, to, to put up the force field. Like, there's just yeah. so many things happening in terms of, of like what you have a mother wanting to protect her children. You have the father helpless to help. And then you have the evil people doing the evil things. You have one evil person second guessing their evilness. Then you have, <laughs> or, uh, you have Violet who can't, who can't do it because she's like, she's, she doesn't have confidence so in herself. And now, her mom, and now her mom's asking her to do the impossible in a way. And then you have Dash not being helpful. Because <laughs> what can he do on the, in the air? He can't go anywhere. Ha, that's your super speed for you. And then. And and then you have Helen at the end, like saving the day, like getting everybody in and which, by the way, great setup in terms of like, oh, when the whole sequence where Edna's showing her like the 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 like indestructible and everything. It's it's kind of nice to see that. Like, it's like, okay, why did you tell me about that? And it's like, I understand now, like you get that immediate payoff from something that like happened earlier and And i think that's that's, yeah i was gonna say and this like whole like sequence too um or at least that part too just sort of like is um like makes me think about how like there's all these like little like like i guess like breadcrumbs throughout the movie and then they always end up paying off later and sort of bring it back to that it's really beautiful the way that this movie is like i guess presented everything that they give you absolutely i mean i think one of the things a lot of movies especially movies that have to that depend on world building one of the things they often fail at doing is exposition they don't a lot of times know how to provide information to us and the incredibles does it seamlessly it's like or, it just, or they mm-hmm. provide information that just gets dropped later on exactly in the movie. exactly yeah. or like it or they never answer and it's in an interview with like the director later on like oh yeah sure let's that's the answer so it's it's just it's so great how they handle that and in this thing in, in this this like it just shows also the creativity that the 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 director and the writers everyone just used with the superhuman abilities of these characters, they get really creative with them. So not only do you have 
um, kind of, you have Helen like becoming like a cover for them, but then when they fall, she becomes a parachute. And then at, when, once they're actually on like the water and she calms them down she after they're like, boat. we're dead, we're dead. <laughs> she becomes a boat, exactly. And then, and Dash becomes the motor. And it's just this wonderful, like usage of that and not just that but wonderful showing it's wonderful that they actually showed them being exhausted and shows the limits to their powers because afterwards once they actually find land you see her slowly come back and like in return to her normal length whereas with dash you used to see him like try like gasping for breath and try like so it's just i really like how yes they're superhuman but it also shows you your their limits because oftentimes it's like, sometimes it's even just with, with, um, they need like a super big bad guy to show that they're, we- they're the limits to superhuman abilities. Yet in this, in this, like up to this point, that's not what they do. They show the limits just through them using their powers and being incredible, you know? So I just, this and, scene, it's amazing. Yeah, please. And it's physical as well as emotional because you yeah. have like that, that yeah. whole plane scene also does a really good job of showing like the kids trust enough in Helen. But like once she's fi- she's finally breaking down is when they begin to panic as well, because she's always been the, the anchor of that family. So like for her to start worrying is like them that they lose all hope. And then when they get in the ocean, uh, Helen has to like shout at them. But like out, like she, she is just out of out of sorts as well. And then you have that that scene where they go into the cave and they have this talk as well. Like you, you gotta understand, she, like everything's serious now. You can't play around anymore. Like that scene also is incredible. Just having the mother mother child relationship strengthen in that scene as well. I yeah. also I like in that scene how she um, she actually references something that like because you know how like in superhero movies. And in shows, they, you know, the superheroes are invincible and they don't really have much weakness um, and that kind of thing. But she even sits there and says, like, hey, guys will kill you. Yeah. She's like, these aren't those bad guys. Like, these bad guys will kill you. And it's kind of one of those things where it's like, if what just happened didn't like sink, like, explain that for you then i'm telling you now and so i i like the very real moment that she's having with her children like hey we are actually in danger and this isn't like this isn't a kid's show and this isn't a kid's movie like no well, i'll just say just fast forwarding a little bit is it a little weird that we do this whole like hey saturday morning villains aren't real like these are serious villains but by the end of the movie like doesn't syndrome have a very saturday morning villain-esque ending like, well, yeah, yeah he, gets he does even, better. He's not by his own robot, <laughs> and then he gets sucked up into a plane propeller. Well, like, the thing is, the whole thing, the whole thing was, I think she, I, I feel like I was, I would be more scared of Syndrome's henchmen than I would be of Syndrome. Like, the whole point of Syndrome is that, like, he's, you can never take him seriously, is the whole thing. And that's his whole, like motto is like i need to prove that people are i need to force people to take me seriously but that's the whole point of his character is that like you you can't because like you are so ridiculous that no one can take you seriously but, like but, the weird um, part is he is portrayed as very intelligent and powerful like he does he has yeah, developed totally, all this technology yeah. but i'm just saying like his ending is very saturday morning villain but that's well, what like, i mean like i i think that's almost like a i i think that's like a, the perfect fitting because the other thing too is because he's already kind of displayed that like um what is it that he's he's serious like he's willing to kill children so you know i think the fact that like his his ends is 
his end is met by like something that's like he gets sucked into a plane engine. Well, that is also still very real and serious. It's still, again, it's like a joke. And again, it's another like tip of the hat to something that we talked about earlier. So I kind of, I liked that his, that that's what his ending was, despite being a very uh, almost capable villain. And not just that, but like if there's anyone who's still by that point in the film, if there's anyone who's still stuck into the idea of what it means to be a superhero, into the idea of what it means to be like to to idolize these people, it's syndrome. Like he was a he's a hardcore fanboy. He is oh, a yeah. fanboy that got hurt over the last Jedi and demands change. <laughs> That's what We're he going is. into the toxic fandom interpretation of syndrome. Oh, yes. I know. Like, that that is very obvious from the very beginning. And I yeah. even like because I, I took like, notes. there's a good line where uh like he, uh, they have this whole encounter with Mr. Incredible, like hey, we killed your family. It's like uh, and uh, I think Mr. Incredible is gonna be dark. Like he's gonna yeah, kill I was, off. Yeah, like, uh, um, DC Universe reference. I was yeah, waiting. right. But like Mr. Incredible doesn't go through with it. And then uh, um, what's the syndrome? It just it's just like I've outgrown you. Like you're you're not dark enough for me. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like if we are going to go with the Saturday morning cartoon interpretation, like he is the one character that it works for because he wants to be that like he wants to be either the villain or the hero of that cartoon. Like, that's what he's he still sees superheroes as that interpretation. Like, he doesn't see the hard work, the 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 sacrifice. He doesn't see that of superheroes. He still romanticizes them. So I feel like it's a fitting kind of end to him because it's like. It's like, of course, like you would think you would still think that superheroes are are not human. You would think that they're still godly things and you still strive to be a godly figure. Yeah, that's like kind of like the I guess the super ironic thing about him is that like he's he's the villain, but he just wants to be a hero. And it's like, mm, I feel like you're going about this the wrong way, fam. <laughs> yeah, well, like uh, moving, uh, later on, he, his whole plan is like, uh, I'll pretend to be a hero and then I'll sell my technology to other yeah. people. So uh, when everybody is super, hero, no one no will one be. Which, Which is, yeah. like, I was going to say, is a, it's some, uh, who says it? Dash says it like earlier in the yeah. movie too. Because she's just like, Everyone's special, Dash, and Dash is like, yeah. Then that means no one is like. And Bob <laughs> says it later when they're f- when in the fight when he's like when yes. she goes like, why don't you go to his graduation? And he's like, he's just going to the fifth grade. Like, why do we care about like something that's meaningless? Like, why do we have the tree? I want a special. Which kind of lead. This is kind of we haven't like really reached the end of this film and the final part, but I do want to bring this in because this was something that really interested me while I was working on the outline. There is this kind of conservative reading of the incredibles that i didn't know existed um a lot of people said that it, it referenced like that these moments of saying oh if everyone's special no one is or all this stuff is like it references like nietzsche and ayn rand philosophy and all this stuff and i'm just curious of what like your takes on this stuff is because personally i'm like i mean I guess, but at the same time, like, they're also, you could also read it in another way, which is you are telling people who are either a minority or who are other, other with the O being capitalized, you are forcing them to be, you are forcing them them to be repressed and not be who they are, which is something that conservatives tend to do. So it's like, it's like you can, it's like a very interesting kind of like 
what do you want reading of this? So I'm well, curious to see what you guys think. Uh, I yeah. think it's important here to bring in Brad Bird's other Pixar movie, Ratatouille, yeah. which has a very <laughs> similar, well, slightly similar message, right? It's like a, a great person. Not everyone is a great person, but a great person can, or a great chef can come from anywhere, yeah. right? So it, it's this whole idea of like, uh, everyone has the potential to be special. Not everyone is special, but everyone has the potential. And so I, I think that that's one way to read this. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> but well, yeah, I, I, I think that there are themes that are shared by those two movies that it could could be construed in other ways. <laughs> that's yeah. But similarly, um, Brad Bird also did the the Iron Giant, which has been often read as very left-leaning. So it's like, it's it's like, it's it's interesting. It's just, I, I read a, an interview with him and he was just saying like, I'm a centrist. Like, I, I don't understand. Like, blah, 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 blah. Like, everyone's reading so much into this. And I'm just like, but at the same time, I thought like on that same breath, he goes like, but I love how people are like writing think pieces about this stuff. So I'm just like, make up your mind. But anyway. Um, <laughs> no, that's art, man. You gotta yeah, it's have like, interpretation. interpretive. Like. No, I, I just find it really interesting. I, I, so I was just curious to see what you guys thought of it well i think the other thing you have to consider too is the time period that this movie totally. is taking place like it's in the the 50s and 60s or it, kind of even like the late 40s if you get exactly yeah. into it and so whenever you take that into consideration there really wasn't a whole lot of um what is it like again to quote bob from the movie like they're they're finding new ways to celebrate like mediocrity and that's kind of what that is because in this time like you you have the you know all of the the human rights movements and everything like sort of stirring up and getting well, like ready the beginning sort of, of counterculture movements right like yeah. it, it's yes. the, the the idea that people are doing things individually as opposed to as a group kind of began to like take earnest in the in that era yeah well and you're it's also like the, at this time is like the beginning of like consumerism and and more so in uh in the sense of like the oh well like helen and bob have a dishwasher like we need yeah, a dishwasher yeah. because if helen and bob have one then we should have one too kind of thing and so it's kind of like that like you don't want to stand out because then that's bad it's uh it's very sort of um like referential to um like Japanese culture is yeah. where like they want everything to sort of be like uniform and the same and that's kind of what this is too because we don't want superheroes because they're different um you know and the same with all of the other you know sort of movements that were taking place at that time and so i i don't know that i necessarily agree that this is kind of like conservative in that fact it's kind of like one of those like here are the repercussions of like your conservative views kind of thing right and, and like at, at the end of the, like the ending of this movie is basically like you're oppressing the uh, the individuals who can do good but then what uh, happens when individuals who do bad come up and they're not stopped exactly so like, <laughs> and, and so the, the, these people who stand out have to rise above and like fight against that tide and, and that ends up succeeding in this movie so <laughs> <laughs> totally like i i i was just like i that, that was just like some that, that that reading of the movie was just very interesting to me but yeah um, I, I do think it's a representation of american conservatism in that era for sure oh yeah oh absolutely um, but yeah, so let's continue with, um, let's like 
because we're go- going on a bit. So let's let's fit. Let's try and um, close out the conversation by focusing on the final ending of this movie, which is after uh, the airplane sequence, Helen goes and saves Bob. The kids on their own um, start like run into the bad guys and they start fighting. Um, the family becomes reunites and then the family themselves start doing this have this great like like um kind of you know how the in the avengers they had the avengers shot where it was just like you have like a a long shot of just showing the avengers like like standing and and they're going around in a circle in a circle (laughs) well we have like it's not as as uh it's not as like movement focused but we do have that one shot of them all striking a pose in the incredibles where it's like yeah now we're all fighting together and then they get caught by Syndrome, who finally reveals this, his plan. This scene is pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you yeah, got it's busy. Like... <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's also a shipper. Syndrome also ships. He was like, last year. He is a shipper. He would totally be writing fanfic and shipping. He, and... he is like every fandom that exists in the world, like personified. But like, not every, <laughs> not just like, but like the badness of fandom. Exactly. He's like the badness of fandom personified. <laughs> but, but yeah, so finally he, uh, so basically his plan is essentially that he's going to set his machine loose on the city. He's going to use a control to quote unquote, to make people pretend, like think that he actually saved the city, that he'll become a new superhero. And then when he gets old, He'll sell his tech and make everyone super, meaning no one will be. So in the end, he wants no one to be super, I guess, is the end game for him. Yeah, like the end, end game par- before he's about to end. Yeah, partial revenge on like the superhero culture. Because from his eyes, he's like, why are they leaving us out? Why are they leaving the normal people out? That's not fair. That's not right. So like in his mind, by giving people the opportunity to be super in their own way, like he's doing a good for society in, in breaking off that that uh, uh. that barrier, so to speak. But um, but yeah. So let's uh, talk about. So basically, he he I don't know. He's just he's terrible. And Mirage has had enough. She's like, I am done with this guy. Oh, and the, the, she, the, the, the moment where, she, like, after the, um, Syndrome is risking Mirage, and Mirage is like, yeah. next time risk your own life. It's like, now it's just calling his bluff. And, like, you see a very interesting dynamic there. I wish we had seen a little bit more of it, like, between Syndrome and Mirage actually interacting. But that one scene was pretty good. Yeah. yeah I mean, and it's I good agree. that, like, in, in, the, in the little we got, we understood the relationship. So it was successful, even if we could have used more of it. They were it was efficient, I think is the is a good word to describe those scenes. Um but yeah, so she helps the family get to the city, and we have the glorious moment. The moment that I think, even though like for me the airplane scene is the one that like is the most memorable, I I think it's safe to say that it's this one scene that everybody knows and everybody can quote. The where is my super suit scene. That oh, I thought we were going to talk about Elastigirl stretching herself over the RV. I thought that oh, was... <laughs> not just that, but that is, that is a beautiful moment because not only, like, when she... It, re- it reminds me of, like, giving birth where he's like, how are you doing? She's like, don't talk to me. Do you have to ask? <laughs> Which, again, it, it's a good echo to, like, the woman 
going through immense amount of physical trauma mm. just so the family can survive and continue. Um, and then you have like when they're in the RV driving, which is a beautiful moment because it's like, that is such a quintessential, like what family hasn't gone through that, right? Of just like- and, and the kids before the age of in the GPS. car, like, are we there yet? Yeah, and then we'll get there when we get there. <laughs> and Take this really exit, no, 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 no. <laughs> exactly, I've just, like, I feel like that should be like a test for all couples, kind of like the Ikea test. It's like the driving without like the driving directions test where it's like, can you survive a fight in the car driving somewhere? <laughs> if you can, you are meant to be. Um, <laughs> but but yes, but I was talking about the where's my super suit scene because everyone can quote it. Like everyone, like if someone goes, where's my super suit? Everyone can, everyone knows where it's from. Everyone can list. If you close your eyes, you can hear the voice. Like it's, it's a beautiful scene. And I feel like it's the one that no one expected. I feel it to blow up. Like I certainly didn't expect this to be like, like what, 15, 14, 15 years down the line. I did not expect this to be the scene that everyone can call back to for the Incredibles. I, I think it helps that Samuel L. Jackson is just like, I, I think he's yeah. the most recognizable voice of this group. Holly totally. Hunter has has done great work, That's but great. I think yeah. Samuel L. Jackson, especially with the Avengers, ha- is like the top tier voice in this movie. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's it, I, I'm, I think like in the credits for Incredibles 2, he'll be like, and Samuel L. Jackson. Like, he'll be like the last one. So, you know, the last, like, the last, like, person in the credits is the most important one. And, and you know, Honey has... Like, with uh, and, you know. And Honey has good lines in there, too. Like, yeah. the, uh, Frozen's like, for the greater good. The greater good. I'm the greatest good. <laughs> it's, just, it's just great. But, I like again, in the, what yeah. is it? My evening's in danger. danger. <laughs> <laughs> like, what about my evening? Like, she's, like, again, it's another beautiful moment of, like, humanness. Where it's, like, disaster's happening. Superhero stuff is happening in the background. And then they're just like, no, but my evening, though. <laughs> and he's like, hey, where is like- this? They could almost even be arguing about like where's, where's my where's my phone like yeah. where's your phone like <laughs> like oh it's over there where over there where's there like it's just again another beautiful oh, moment no, you're not getting on your phone and playing Candy Crush or get like whatever <laughs> it's just from personal experience April no it's really not <laughs> so that was a very um, specific example <laughs> I just pulled I I was like what's a popular like video like game on your phone so candy crush came to mind <laughs> but um but yeah so we have frozone finally joins them and we have this like beautiful like epic scene where you have this fight and you have everybody kind of coming together oh um, by, by the way we bring back in the first fight with the mr incredible and the robot they mentioned like it's artificial intelligence it learns yeah. as it fights and so we bring that back with the uh, with syndrome attempting to fake fight the robot but the robot realizes oh i'm being controlled i'll attack the remote control <laughs> so like uh, that that gets brought back as well that detail yeah yeah i i like that too and also the detail that, oh, it's like that Mr. Incredible has of not just the remote, but also like, oh, the only thing that can penetrate it is itself, which is how he won the first time. Mm-hmm. So it's like, again, another thing of like information being dropped so seamlessly that you don't realize that it's pivotal information until later, until it's finally being used. So again, great, great, um, very tight storytelling from uh, from them. 
the, and the action scene itself was pretty good. Like, I especially like them bringing back uh, um, Mr. Incredible and Dash throwing it like a football. Like, that we had that yeah. in the montage. And like, here we bring mm-hmm. it back. Like, go long. And like that scene where Dash is running from the lasers, running across the pool, which is pretty cool. So like, a, that that entire sequence is pretty good, a, a very good way to end the movie. But like that that's that little part of it in particular stood out to me. Like because D- Dash. As a character in this movie, like kind of is kind of the weakest, just because he doesn't have as much screen time. I feel, but I I think he does well in the action sequences. I was gonna say he brings a lot to the action sequences, where he may not bring as much to like, I guess like the like emotional side of it, if if that's yeah like fair to say, just because like a lot of like the emotional moments. Um, come from like Bob and Helen and and Violet, uh, and Violet, yeah. Whereas Dash is just like he is literally just a kid in this show, like in this movie. And so there's not like, I guess there's not much for him to develop at this time. Maybe like I guess depending on where we are um, in the next movie, like maybe we'll see like some character kind of development from him. Um, but that would just be like. That's just me speculating about what I mean, we're gonna see. <laughs> I mean, but, but there is like, for instance, um, his whole thing is that he's he's a troublemaker in school because he just has all this energy that he can't put into a positive well, outlet. He's, he's so it's suppressed, like, whole, like yeah. well, so similar to Bob, right? <laughs> similar to exactly similar to Bob, but without the midlife crisis angst, I guess. <laughs> He's too young for midlife crisis. <laughs> He's too young for angst. He's just like, I just want to run, man. Just let me run. And it's like, okay, go. That is, yeah, um, that's literally all he wants to do in this movie is to just run, like, as fast as he can. <laughs> as fast hey, as guess, I can? But hey, guess what? At the end of the movie, he doesn't run as fast as he can. They force him to finish in second place. So so I don't get the point of I thought that was really oh. hilarious. Yeah, it, it's it's funny, it's like, but, but I don't think it serves well as an ending to his arc. I mean, I don't think that is the ending to his arc. I think the ending to all their arcs is is like the end of like is is once they save Jack Jack. I think that's like the end. And no, for but him, like, that this happens is just after Jack Jack. No. no, I know, I know, but I don't think I think that's more of like an epilogue and not necessarily like oh, this is like his arc is like now his arc is over. I think his arc is over the second that he actually starts fighting and running as fast as he can. I was gonna um, say. I was I think this is like like that that ending sort of scene with him in the the track meet is kind of like a um and it, it again it's another like something that we brought up earlier kind of thing where he he even says like I don't have to finish first or I can only win by a little bit kind of thing and I think it's also sort of that like understanding like okay you know it's not like if you want to be normal you have to like participate in sports and maybe if you don't like you know, if you do go out and do something, then you're not like causing trouble and putting thumbtacks on people's chairs or whatever. So I think that sort of like helps sort of move, like put the like, okay, we re-reached the family's character arc at the, at the end of the fight scene. And then here we are sort of like settling into that kind of situation. And not just, yeah, yeah, please, sorry. Oh, no, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> no, uh, no I, I was just going to say, like, I agree. And not just that, but it is a good end to his arc because not like before he was just like, just let me be, let me run as fast as I can. And in this moment, he's like, oh, I have a secret identity now. Like, I need to keep that up. And it shows maturity from him to from being like, oh, 
I am now mature enough to understand that there is a there are risks to my competitiveness and I understand the real life repercussions of having my identity out there. Like I I feel like I don't know, I just feel like he him like under like not only like the family trusting him in like keeping their secret and allowing but also like his trust in the family to let him do what he has to like allowing him to like go and be in sports like it's it shows their trust in him to like he knows like that when he has to pull back and he understands that and he still gets to do what he wants but he also understands the responsibility he has to keep that identity a secret so i think it is a fitting ending for him personally but um but yeah i don't argue Uh, with that (laughs) but um but yeah so i guess and then we end i guess is with the undertaker that is like the that's where we Uh, leave uh, off underminer underminer (laughs) sorry undertaker is what a wrestler (laughs) yes he he is a he is a wrestler and an undertaker usually works at a cemetery but this guy comes straight out of the ground (laughs) yes he's a mole man a mole man Yes. Like the the size of his machine is like massive. <laughs> and admittedly that he, about him. He he has a loudspeaker as if he was a wrestler though. <laughs> like, <laughs> he's, he's speaking like a WWE announcer. Yeah. Uh yeah. Yeah. Um all right, so I guess let's just like finish oh, off. Yeah, please. Well, like we, we kind of skipped over because I, I skipped over to Dash, but I think the actual ending is the whole Jack Jack scene of like them oh, showing yes. up to their house, like, oh, yay, we won. And then they just stop. Like they get frozen by uh, by uh, by syndrome. And it's like, oh, I got your baby. <laughs> and like that, that scene is also pretty dark. It, it gets very light quickly once Jack Jack exercises his powers and all. But like that little moment of like them being all like la di da and then just getting faced with this is a bit jarring. Like it's kind of like a second ending almost. Yeah, yeah, and I and I think there's something so beautiful about um, Helen being like throw me, like throw me and I'll like I don't know. There's something like throw the mom to the baby. That is the best solution. To everything just throw the mom. Like she is like the best thing. And in doubt, like throw the parent. If you can throw the parent to the child, throw the parent. Um, and I don't know, I just found that to be, I don't know, the way that the line was delivered, like, me, throw me, and then boom, and I'm like, ah, Helen, you're great! Um, but yeah, that, and can we talk about Jack-Jack, like, what is his power? Like, what exactly is it? Is it, he can turn into a demon, and a steel baby, and fireball person? He's, like, elemental, but then not elemental? Like, unless demon is an element now, like, uh... Well, is shapeshifter too broad? I I, I think that's the general... Now, are are we gonna include trailers in this? Um, I mean, we can... Okay, well, like, in one of the trailers, he also teleports. So, like, that's yeah. an extra yeah. thing. <laughs> and he has laser eye vision. So, yeah. Yeah. Who, who are you, child? Like, <laughs> Well, I mean, let's also think about this. Um, Mr. Incredible has super strength. Elastigirl has stretchy powers. So, somehow, their first two kids came out with invisibility and super speed. How do superhero speed. genetics work in this universe at all? I don't they were i don't think it works that way i think it's just, just you know happen. it's just the gene and then it's just a single superhero gene that like manifests in any power in the universe i guess so you know like we're not scientists we don't know <laughs> like that's some weird formula to come out with these three children <laughs> i'm i'm curious to see like what it is that jack jack 
ends up becoming. That's my big thing. I'm like, what is, I, I, part of me wants him to be like, part of me wants him to go bad. Part of me wants him to be a villain. And then his villain name would be Jack in the Box. And then just like, boom, ah! I am. <laughs> or something like that. But well, like, um, there is a weird moment where Syndrome is like, he'll be a nice sidekick. So like, imagine like the like alternate Rodan universe. In his face, where... Like the worst fate for your child is going to be that he's a Syndrome sidekick to me. Yeah. <laughs> But um, but yeah, um, I guess we'll end with this. Do you guys have any theories for the sequel? Because I guess we've covered the main one. So is there any sort of thing, expectations you have for it, hopes that you have for it, theories that you want to throw at me? It, it's it's really interesting because I I literally have nothing like. <laughs> Because, like, anything could take place. Like, we could just have some new, like, random villain. Um, Will, like, will Mirage come back? What will her role be kind of situation? Because I was never really sure if she was an actual, like, super or not. They never really, I guess, um, like, brought that to light. She she just seemed like an assistant to me, I guess. Which kind of sucks because I would like her to be more. But... (laughs) Um, I, I literally have like nothing. I, and my, my only expectation is that this is going to be, this movie is going to be good because, mm-hmm. and it should be good because we've been waiting 14 years and that I need this. True. <laughs> that is true. That is true. Um, before Alex, before you go come in, um, I will say that Mirage did have a line saying, you know, people like us, we don't, we no longer exist. So I'm assuming she does have superpowers. But um, on that same note, um, her voice actress did pass away a couple years ago, I believe. So I don't know if if they'll if if they will recast her or if just if she's just not going to be in the movie. Yeah. I'm not sure. Yeah, there's already one recasting that's being confirmed. Um, uh, Bud Lucky, yes, who, vo- yes. who voices no, uh, I think the 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 old guy who's in charge of like relocating the su- the oh, supers. Gotcha. He's mm-hmm. he's also deceased since then, and I believe they've already announced his recasting. I think Dash as well. You're right. Is also going to have a different voice. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I'm vaguely aware of the plot, so I'm not really going to make predictions on that front. But I will say that I've heard a lot that this movie is supposed to focus more on Elastigirl, and yes! I found, but, and I found interesting that because rewatching this, I was surprised how big of a part Elastigirl has in this movie. Like I. Like, considering all the talk, like, more Elastigirl, like, I figured, uh, I, my memory, I guess, was uh, affected by that. I was like, okay, then I, this was mostly a Bob movie. But, like, at this, watching this, I feel like they did do Helen's character a lot of justice in, in this first movie, like, get, giving her her own space. It, it, obviously, within the family dynamic, a lot of it is related to her relationship with Bob, her relationship with the kids. So maybe there's room for like uh, her finding her own thing to do or like her having a a parallel arc to to Bob and like her distancing herself from the family. That could be another thing to do. But I'm just interested. Time for her midlife crisis. Maybe. (laughs) But like I'm just interested to see what more Elastigirl means because I think that this movie did a good job of balancing the characters very well. So I I wonder how you strike that balance again while at the same time giving more focus to one character um i mean well it's interesting because if you think about it every other character had kind of their own thing that they had to deal with outside of the family except for helen like she's the only one who 
her entire story kind of revolved around the family. So I feel like maybe if anything, it's like more focusing like her outside the family, like her life outside the outside her her family. Maybe life, she I gets guess. a job. <gasps> yeah. Oh, maybe. Oh, um, I personally, like, you know, I think we're we're not doing that far of a jump, and because again, we are going in like sixties. What happens in the 60s? The feminist movement. So I wouldn't be surprised if we start getting some like, like Pixar started to touch on this a little bit, especially with uh, Cars 3. Um, they they very much explored kind of the glass ceiling and all this stuff. So I wouldn't be surprised if like with Helen um, and just because what the brief moment we had with Elastigirl in the documentary in this movie if they explore more of like the feminist movement and like what does that like what does this mean and the equal rights for men and women and stuff like that i wouldn't be surprised if that were the case yeah but, um, because uh, the trailers have focused a lot on on bob being a stay-at-home dad so like th- that that's interesting as well like having the gender roles switched a little bit there like ha- having bob deal deal with the kids and stuff and having a, a last girl do her own thing right and i'm just i i hope it doesn't end with like, see, this didn't work out. So, Bob, you have to, we have to conform to gender roles once more. It's like, uh, okay, like, I'm, I'm curious. I hope, I don't think that's what's going to happen. But I think, I'm curious. I think, uh, I think what will happen in terms of, like, the gender roles is I think they will um, slightly shake it up, but it won't be so much so that it's, like, um, like assaulting, if that makes sense. Because yeah, makes I think sense. they're still going to, um, I guess, pay, I mean, they're, I have no doubt that they're going to, you know, still sort of respect the time period that they're in because I think it would be, whew, sorry, um, it would be too much to be like, okay, yeah, like, like this extreme like separation, you know, kind of like or a role reversal or a gender role reversal. I think that would be almost a little bit too much to kind of jump into. So I think whatever it is that we're going to see, I think the it, I don't doubt that it'll be it like successful whatever it is that they decide to do but i do expect that it will be sort of shaken a little bit at least given the time period totally totally well okay then i think that about does it for us um you can find out all the info on this podcast at overlyanimated.com you can join us on discord to text chat about animation at overlyanimated.com slash discord support us via patreon at patreon.com slash overlyanimated Thanks to all our current patrons, especially our patron of the podcast, Rachel, a.k.a. Rachel Rose. And thanks, as always, to our Patreon executive producers, John, Ryan, Steve, Alex, Andy, and Hugh. Um, Yeah, so thank you so much for listening, guys. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.